Welcome to Galaxy Brains. We're here this week with a great episode. I'm not in the studio, so no intro wrap this week, but we have a great interview with Will Foxley, host of The Mining Pod, formerly of Compass Mining. I'll talk with Will about Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining, media in the crypto landscape. He's been involved in uh, media at Coindesk and elsewhere for a long time, and it's a great discussion. Of course, we'll also check in with our good friend, Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading, as always, to talk markets. But before we get to all of that, I need to remind you to please refer to the link to the disclaimer in the podcast notes and note that none of the information in this podcast constitutes investment advice or an offer recommendation or solicitation by Galaxy Digital or any of its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. It's an interesting convo here with Will Foxley. Again, like I said, he's been involved in crypto media for a long time. He has a lot of interesting ideas and critiques about how media can improve covering this space. So let's hop right into it. Let's go now to our friend Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading. As always, Bimnet, great to see you. Thanks for having me. So we're not in the office. Actually, you're in the office. I'm not in the office. So that's why we look a little different here. You know, I, I blame Alex for this. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm an office guy seven days a week, you know, 24 hours a day. I, I, Markets I live and never breathe. sleep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they never sleep. So you've been talking uh, a lot of the last couple of weeks, and, and I know it's still relevant in your mind about the U.S. Uh, uh, Treasury curve. Absolutely. And so so let, let, let's start there. Um, where does it stand now in your mind? Um, you know, 30-year yields are, are testing the highs uh, again today around 430 to 435. Um, and we've seen tests of, of new, you know, year-to-date highs and, you know, across all of fixed income um, here here in the U.S. And so I, I still think that, you know, you're likely going to see the back end of the curve continue to steepen, um, you know, rel- relative to, to, to the front end and that, you know, those nominal yields, you know, are going to have to rise and, you know, a rise of like, you know, call it 25 to, to 50 basis points on either the, you know, 10-year part of the curve or the 30-year part of the curve with the front end staying constant still takes you to like neg 25 basis points-ish of, of inversion. And so I, I think there's still tons of room for, for the back end to uh, sell off. And fundamentally, there's nothing in the supply-demand picture that I think is, is going to change uh, to alter that, that view in, in any way. Long story short, the, the government is deficit spending like crazy. And the central banks are no longer buying, uh, you know, fixed income and in, in, on their balance sheet, and so all the supply has got to get absorbed, and that the buyer base to absorb this this supply uh, is shrinking by, by by the day. And so, uh, you know, I, I think path least resistance is higher um, than U.S. back end yields, and that's going to weigh on risk sentiment, and already has. You know, you've seen the Nasdaq uh, <clears throat> trade off uh, significantly again today. Um, you know, we had a down one percent day yesterday, and so um, and and we're you know meaningfully off the highs a, at this point. Um, so you, you're definitely seeing that spillover impact in, into you know traditional markets and equities. In um, FX, dollar's been rallying. You know, dollar yen is in currency intervention territory. Uh, it's almost trading at at one forty six. The last time we were here, obviously the BOJ had to step in, and that's largely again a function of you know the the U.S. stuff, uh, but also of you know. The, the BOJ policy, which is, is really not doing much in the way of, of, of tightening monetary policy. Mm. And so, um, you know, I really think uh, the setup's there for higher U.S. rates, lower U.S. equities, and uh, probably a stronger dollar over the next handful of months. So crypto in this landscape, and mm-hmm. I feel like we're almost beating a dead horse because volatility has been yeah. so low. 
Um, I, I think Bitcoin realized volatility is essentially at the lowest ever. I, I ran it yesterday on, on Tuesday. It might as well be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was the 37th yeah, you're, you're lowest. You're splitting hairs here. Uh, it's like it's in day. one of those yeah. like low percentiles. It's, it's, it evolves low. And uh, I think yeah. that is justified because, you know, it, it, one, in theory, like the, the more this asset class matures, you know, the lower vol profile it's going to have. Like you don't want Bitcoin trading at 100 vol if, if you think it's going to be a, a store of value asset. You know, you want it periodically right. rallying. But, you know, it shouldn't be like an insane vol asset if you're trying to attract like a trillion dollars of capital into that asset. Um, and so, you know, one, I wouldn't be like, oh, my God, there's no interest, there's no activity because, you know, I, I would just say that it, it might actually help the, the long-term kind of narrative and the profile of, of the asset class. Uh, two, you know, outside of this, uh, I think you've highlighted it, you know, on, on some of the pieces you've written. But, you know, this grayscale stuff, uh, we were expecting the decision on, on Tuesday, didn't happen, might get it on Friday. Um, but outside of that, I don't see much of a – uh, I don't see many near-term positive catalysts. And even right. if you were to get the ETF approval, uh, it's it's like you know one of those things where you actually need that approval and that product to actually be available to to see the impact. The amount of impact you're going to get from you know folks speculating on the approval, like there's a limit to that. And I think we've already yeah. hit that limit in terms of just like. In, in the conversation of ideas, just saturating the you know the thought process around the, the ETF, etc. Um, and you've had retail you know buy tons of you know Bitcoin, Bitcoin related equities, all that. So people loaded up on on the ETF narrative already. And so I think like until you actually get to the event where institutions that are comfortable with the BlackRock ETF like can actually buy it in the open market, and you can see that flow. Like it's going to be tough for us to to rally based on this ETF narrative. Outside of yep. you know, if you get this grayscale win, I think you could get get a nice little pop. But um, I'm kind of struggling to see what would justify uh, you know prices being higher or or vol being more elevated. Yep, I saw a headline on Bloomberg. It says Bitcoin volatility vanishes amid quote extreme apathy and exhaustion. Um, I was chuckling about this a little bit because, you know, Bitcoin at 30K, I just don't consider to be extreme apathy. Maybe I'm taking too long a view uh, mm -hmm. in Bitcoin's life cycle. But it is. It, it is absent. I mean, we had that step up on e on the BlackRock ETF announcement, which was mid-June. Yeah. And we've basically just been sideways since then. Yeah. I, and I think uh, I think it's generally – it's also good that it's not going down aggressively, right? We've had tons of macro assets, you know, come down, commodities come down in the past couple of weeks, et cetera. Mm -hmm. The fact that it's holding in okay with, you know, the broader market and even alts getting hosed, you know, I think is a sign that, you know, folks that bought it on the ETF narrative, they're not – I mean, some of them were the leveraged, you know, crazy, uh, you know, really aggressive like hedge fund type buying, you know, the we can type of buying. But a lot of it, you know, kind of seems to be like a very institutional-esque sort of buyer base, not necessarily mm -hmm. institutions, but retail with a, a much longer like investing horizon. Um, and so, you know, I, I do think that you can see that in the price action that folks aren't really panicking to sell this stuff because they know that in, you know, whether it's six months from now or a year from now, you know, this product is going to have that institutional moment. 
Um, and you know, yeah. And I, I think I've, I think your point about flows makes a lot of sense uh, as it relates to the ETF. You have the narrative, right, which is a lot of speculation, but then. In terms of this specific type of headline, if it comes to pass, it is one that creates a new avenue for flows to come into the industry, right? So it's you get the narrative speculation around its approval and then its launch, but then Bitcoin can start trading even more like a macro asset because it becomes available to so many more types of yep. of investors, um, and then and then you know you you can see the structural flows occur and it becomes more of a flow story over a narrative story at that point. Exactly. And I think the flow story is, is really what, what matters, right? And the flows, like if we're even on the most conservative end, like the amount that of assets that, you know, Bitcoin is, is going to attract via an ETF product, I think is, you know, underestimated by, by the market. Uh, you know, I may be wrong there. I think folks have done the GLD comparison and, you know, folks have, you know, some, some bullish outcomes. But in theory, the way I think about it is like, okay, let's say an ETF launched today. You know, I think Bitcoin would be well through 40K, like easily well yeah, through I mean, 40K. Yeah, I mean, it, like I mean, it, it reduces the 50. risk. Yeah. And so, like, I, you, don't, you don't see that kind of like flow impact in, in the market or that expected flow impact, you know, qu- quite yet. Yeah. Um, it, it reduces the risk for traditional uh, wealth managers, um, RAAs, um, other types of investors. They no longer have to consider it as the separate thing that needs bespoke custody and, and yep. you can't track the prices without going to weird crypto websites, right? It sits right there next to all the other ETF options that they can offer their their clients. And, and so you, you, it definitely at least becomes a bigger part of the conversation when it comes to portfolio allocation in the event that that uh, ETF becomes live. Yeah. And then, you know, just... I always have to say this, you know, every day the, the, the argument for, for Bitcoin gets stronger from a, a monetary standpoint. I yeah. mean, just look at the, you know, shadow banking crisis in, in China <laughs> for, for the time being. You've got, you know, formerly their, their, you know, largest property developer that, you know, their bonds are now frozen. The PBOC is now cutting interest rates again. Um, you know, Japan had gangbusters GDP. But they can't get off of negative interest rates in their front end, and they can't even get to one percent yet on their on their ten-year note. And the Fed is telling you that you know they're likely pausing. And I think the market is you know that there's going to be a limit to how much the yield curve can steepen. And I think you yeah, know, there's going to be a, a a call on the Fed at some point. Anyway, not 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 getting not getting there, but. They're, they're, the, the monetary arguments between now and when the ETF launches, I think, are going to only be stronger in the sense that, you know, either we'll have gone through some financial market havoc that, you know, will make us more inclined for easier monetary policy or the data will have just slowed down by then where, you know, you can, you know, actually cut interest rates or foresee, uh, you know, the Fed cutting, et cetera. Um, but by and large, it, it kind of seems like the hawkish tilt that you've had among central banks um, over the past, you know, call it 12 to 18 months, you're on the, the last legs of that. Um, and it, it kind of goes to show you the, the limits of, of monetary policy and, and fiscal and right. Like it's just like every day it's like, wait, the government wants to have a, you know, near record deficit, even though we have an inflation problem. Like just these such obvious things. Wait, we're going to give, you know, U.S. UPS labor, you know, drivers a huge raise, and the UK labor market that everybody's getting raised like crazy. And people are like, 
how are you going to fight inflation when you're giving people like five, six percent raises? Like, wait, mm-hmm. what is that going to lead to? More consumption, higher prices, and so the the logical you know extensions of where monetary and phys- fiscal policy you know can get to. Uh, you know, ultimately are, are always going to be, you know, pro Bitcoin or hard assets. And I think, you know, over the next six months, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll see a much stronger case um, play out. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a cognitive dis- dissonance there between the inflation and, and the various policies. Um, look, let's wrap it there. We could go on and on, my friend. Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading, as always. Thank you so much for joining Galaxy Brains. Welcome, Will Foxley, our guest, uh, formerly of Compass Mining. I'm really excited to get into uh, what you're doing next and, and talk with you. Welcome to Galaxy Brains, Will. Thanks, Alex. Also friends. We yes, can, friends. We can start true. there. That's true. That's true. Uh, two podcasters yucking yeah. it up. Will, Will's got a great podcast, by the way, The Mining Pod, which he's Thank done you. for a long time. And um, also, you're still on Coindesk TV, right? The Hash? I am. been doing uh, that almost three years now. I know. It's been a long time. Yeah. It's one of the longer running shows in crypto. It is. And it's that's... If I may say so, by far the best CoinDesk TV show of those shows. We put a lot of work into it. Um, and well, you guys have real production, which is like really interesting. Like I've gone yeah. on CoinDesk TV before. Have you gone to the office? No, but I've gone on. I've sure. never actually gone live. That would be. I like doing TV live yeah. much better. Like I like. I've, yeah. I've done Bloomberg TV a couple times, and I much prefer to go up to their studio. Yeah, um, it's just better. Oh, I've seen you there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they, but they have like it's a very professional operation from is a that TV all production green side. No, Bloomberg is no green screen at all. So like all that, all that like... weird, like flashy, <laughs> like yeah, it's it's nauseating. It's, it's actually beautiful. Really? Uh, I mean, Coindesk is, must be all green screen, right? I mean, or yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have like a. It, you should definitely go in sometime. It's like a s- small TV setup, almost like a local news channel. Yeah, and they have a whole production room, but it's cool for crypto because like yeah. Typically, you wouldn't have the money to be able to do that. Well, let, let's let's talk about this actually yeah. because we, we I know we wanted to talk about this. Let's go right into yeah. the media. We're gonna talk about. Your background, Will, and how you got involved, how you got at Coindesk, yeah. how you got into mining. Like we'll we'll talk about that stuff too. But yeah. while we're on this, let's talk about media in 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 crypto because um, it is the only Coindesk TV is the only like TV show besides BitBoy. TV channel. Yeah, yeah, BitBoy Ben Ben Armstrong, that's his name. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not a fan, but um, at all. <laughs> but he has a lot of listen. But that's not a TV show, is it? I guess it is. I think it is. It's not. It's just not just like a live stream. I think he's one of the pure pundits out there yeah might not like him but he is he has a big audience yeah. right P- pomp has moved that way too on purpose i think yeah pomp, i don't but think he had is to be. pomp still doing his thing he did the best business show so he kind of changed from and we talk about this too like sponsorship stuff after so much blowback from BlockFi and so many other sponsors yeah. he's like not doing that anymore and so he moved to a, a different model and it seems like they're doing like sort of stand-up classes almost like a master class thing interesting they did that with mining recently and it was pretty good. I mean, just kind of bringing in, like, the mining CEOs. Yeah. Get a lot of people who would listen because they buy their mining stock. So that's one model. But, I mean, they still have the newsletter. I think they still have the podcast. Right. right. They're not doing the daily show that they did with the brothers, which was. That was the best business show. <laughs> that was, like, peak COVID type stuff. Yeah. Um, that was, was. Remember when Dave, um, uh, Dave Portnoy was doing his t- live Twitter yeah. stream? Yeah. Or was it Stock Twitter? picks or whatever? Yeah. He did that. A, he even he started that, that for, before. like, six months, dude. It yeah. was funny. It was good. Remember he did that stupid thing where he was like, let's pick a an altcoin to randomly buy. Yeah. And I think he picked SafeMoon, right? Yeah. Which is an absolute scam. We need like G Wart or someone to start doing that again for us. Yeah. We need I well, that's what I like about 
CoinDesk TV is that like there's something live. I like there's something about live, right? Even yeah. even regular when you regularly watch TV, yeah, you just like that's why. I mean, I don't even like baseball, for example. But in the summer, it's the only real like it's one of the only live sports. You get golf, you get some other stuff, tennis. Yeah. But I would just I'll just have the game on at least. Yeah. It's something comforting about knowing that it's happening now. I've, you can always binge watch a Netflix show, but like there's nothing quite like live or even mm -hmm. podcasting. But there's really nothing quite like live. You know, especially when you're making mistakes on, right. live on TV, because then you kind of hate yourself a little bit. That does. Yeah, happen. that's true. There's really nothing you can do. Yeah, it's just. So, but I um, didn't say anything bad. Yeah, so I haven't been canceled. Well, what would you like to see in the Bitcoin media space that doesn't exist yet? Like, where? Yeah. A few thoughts. You're on a that. media guy. Yeah. Yeah, the live media space is really interesting right now. I think there could be some space for consolidation. The issue is everyone's in Bitcoin wants to do like independent stuff, and like I do too, so I get it. But it, it makes it hellish to be able to build something right. that's like consistent and everyone can go. I think CoinDesk tried to do that, but what's happening with DCG, they just like probably don't have the capital to move forward. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. But either like a mega channel where we put BitBoy and Bankless and Crypti, Crypto Windy and maybe you together. <laughs> and then we fill that out into like one giant channel where there's yeah. always something on, right? Yeah. And it's just live. We're not indexing anything. Just go. So would they then run their stuff on their own feeds as recorded, but they would live yeah. stream it as they record it? Yeah, just be like a syndication channel. It's and like then a Twitch channel. Yeah, you could do it that way. Okay, we, yeah. 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 I mean, hopefully get a channel two or somewhere. Yeah. Like it's important enough, I think. So... And then you had another. What was the idea about the same thing with like the Bitcoin podcast? Yeah. Like run them all on the same day or something? Bitcoin radio. Yeah, Bitcoin radio. Bitcoin radio. So I had this idea last year sometime. I was at Compass thinking of ways to like add more media to the space. And there's always like a new show. Everyone's launching a new podcast, but that's great. What if we just put all these podcasts together and make a radio station out of it? And then we just get some weird libertarian talk show hosts to like fill in the gaps. Some charismatic. Yeah crazy person yeah. just an am show you broadcast it out like nashville or austin or whatever i mean that's what's nice am yeah. is cool too because it yeah. goes really far yeah. um and and yeah so then what you'd, you'd link up with like the tales from the crypt and the yeah. and the and the what bitcoin did and get them to like live stream as their something or yeah or who knows what eventually now you just have this platform so you generate yeah. new content as well i mean there's a cool idea here with like radio free europe too yeah where you have like the idea back in the day we're gonna broadcast from London or wherever to occupied countries and give them good ideas. Well, we can do the same thing with Bitcoin, right? It is radio pretty cool. free Bitcoin. It is pretty cool with radio that like you can't really stop like radio yeah. waves. Yeah. It's very easy to like broadcast into occupied territory. It's really hard to buy a radio station though and yeah. get a license with that. The FCC. license and stuff is difficult. So I did um, look into it. But. So um and then let's talk about your background a little bit so because we've, we've been yeah. mentioning this right so you, you do a bunch of media stuff right you're a you're a documentarian I, i'm aware of aspiring yeah. you're a podcaster um you've been a news reporter mm -hmm. um how do you get into bitcoin media and into crypto media yeah very large but yeah i uh i went to college and met a guy named zach vol who super into bitcoin yep he was trading it we know zach zach and i became friends we were in a frat together and then in college uh, in college okay yeah small frat so no one's gonna know about it all right interesting it's a local chapter so you got Sweet. more interested and graduate from college yeah and i was a history major and i was like i don't know what to do with this um <laughs> but we had a pipeline to dc and so you said you had a pipeline to dc yeah so the school had like a really strong pipeline to dc for journalism and i was like i don't know what to do with this but i will be a history major and go to dc and i i went to a dc hearing 
It was Brad Sherman talking about Bitcoin in 2018. One of my favorite antagonists ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I we, was like, we've played many clips from him. You on should this have show. him on this show, honestly. I, I would love to have Brad Sherman, Congressman, come here from DC or California, your district, sir. We'd love to have you on. Yeah. Pencil neck shifts and him on the show. Uh, he was <laughs> just blasting Bitcoin in 2018. Like the whole argument was laid out during this 10 minute hearing I saw. It was like, Bitcoin is alternative currency. It's used by people we don't want. Like, and it's going, to, it's going to subvert the dollar one day. Yeah. And immediately I was just like interested in it because that didn't make <laughs> sense to me. I was like, just I knew it from 2013 when my buddy was buying drugs. Yeah, but there. you're like, it's this big a deal now? The guy's yeah. so mad? The guy's in Congress talking about it. So I wrote it up, talked to Zach about it more. And then by next six months from there, I was working at Masari. Yep. Uh, just working on their little news desk. A lot of people came through Masari. They have, have had yeah. a huge research team there over the years. And, yeah. yeah. Well, early days. I was first 15 there. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Uh, so we built a little news desk, and then from there, there was a pipeline from Masari to Coindesk because Ryan Selkis used to be at Coindesk. Right. And so That's Coindesk true. would try to poach people. Oh, so there's a little battle back there. Yeah. Yeah. So... I landed with Pete Rizzo at Coindesk for a little bit. So you worked for Pete when he was an editor there? Just a short amount of time. Got but it. Yeah, just for a little cool. bit. But and then you've been so. part-time, I suppose, at Coindesk since then. Yeah, so I, I'm only, I mainly wrote about DeFi and Ethereum at Coindesk, mostly technical stuff because that's just what I gravitate towards, just finding it more interesting than just like talking about Bitcoin going up. And so I always like try to find those people, get deep into those chats on Discord, uh, you know, start meeting those people very quickly. I think that's a great thing about the entire space is like you can get access to Vitalik at some point if you just stick around long enough. Not because like you have something to pitch him, but just because like he might be interested in talking with you or interested in bouncing ideas off each other. So you just stick around long enough and that's what you find out. So I did that and then I really just wanted to join Bitcoin Startup because I realized after being in media for quite a while, this is probably the biggest critique I have of media in general is these people are not interacting with it at all right like they might be somewhat practitioners they might not they might know how to use metamask but that's about where the limit i mean particularly is. on the news side per, yeah news media and crypto is often awful because they don't use things and they haven't been through it so with startups i wanted to join a bitcoin startup because i wanted to see like how tough it is because we'd always get in these these pitches from people that are like desperately trying to get attention for their product and then we'd also go turn around and bash companies for failing. Mm-hmm. We're like, okay, there has to be more than this than me just like being able to bash you in 500 words and hurt your guys' revenue for a year. So I went and tried to find a, a Bitcoin startup to join, and that was Compass at the time, which was like the hot startup in 2021. Yep. And uh, that was a ride. So okay, so you went to Compass Mining, um, which was like, um, I, I, what would you call? It? It's not cloud mining. It's um, uh, uh, it's rude. Mining ho- miner hosting. It's not cloud mining. No, it's like hosted mining <laughs> for retail. Uh, for, okay, for people who don't know the mining space, right? You have this box, and this box you plug it into a wall. I think our no no no, no they know that. Okay. They, I'm gonna make it. You plug it into the wall, and you get money out of it. But there's Sounds. like a billion different ways you can divvy this up into like business schemes, right? Yeah. And so you can do like. I'm going to be a public company or you can do like a private company and do like a rev share with it. You need to be a private company and just stream sats to people. Or the idea with Compass is I can have someone purchase this box and then they get the sats from it and we just manage it. Yep. And so all these different ways, like they're legal and illegal just depending on how you look at it. 
in the way profitable or successful or not. It's been tried many ways, right? Mostly unprofitable, but some are profitable. Well, I mean, you know, it's just been a, a yeah. it's been a pretty bleak situation for Bitcoin miners for the last eighteen months. Yeah, it's been it's been pretty bad. I mean, they had good times though, right? There's yeah. some, there's some yacht parties and. <laughs> We enjoyed them. <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk about mining just yeah. generally. We don't have to talk more about Compass specifically, but um, what gets you excited about Bitcoin mining in general? Why? Yeah. After writing about DeFi primarily, being a news reporter, covering crypto, what yeah. made you gravitate specifically to Bitcoin mining? No, I get tons of, I can't curse on the show, but I get a lot of lashback or pushback from people in DeFi and Ethereum who are like, why didn't you join and do this stuff? Part of me wishes I had. Uh, but for the main part here, like mining is extremely interesting because of the people involved, less so because of the tech. The tech's not changing day to day, right? It's just like, here's a hardware box. Maybe there's some firmware. Maybe we do something on the energy side. It's a little bit different. But the people at its core are extremely interesting. They're odd. They're, uh, they're egotistical. They're loud. Uh, I think they're just like often Americans is who I deal with. But then also you get some like, People coming in from China or Kazakhstan, talking with some Kazakhstan miners later today, right? Like people you'd never interact with uh, typically in other parts of crypto. And you also get to go to some of the weirdest places, right? So for Where, for yeah. you guys, like yeah. going down to Spur, Texas. Yeah, we have a big site in Texas, yeah. Helios. There's 800 people there. It's crazy. In, in the whole town, you mean? In the, in the whole town, there's 800 yeah. people. Some of them have been there since the 1880s. Some of them are transplants who just want to move into tiny homes because it's also the tiny home capital of the United States. <laughs> and they all work at a Bitcoin mine, you yeah. know? And these people are just fascinating to talk to. And so that's what I care about. You got these these energy guys. You got digital wildcatters. Like, you got these oil guys involved as well. Um, just the, the people you pick up on the scene. And I think a lot of people don't like mining because they don't like tech nerds who are specifically into hardware. And people... <laughs> People feel uncomfortable with that. And I can understand that to a degree. But I think once you like sort of peel back the layer, you do get one of the most interesting parts of crypto that people just overlook. And yeah. at the end of the day, like I always like to say money is social. Like there's a so social level to it. And that's why podcasting and stuff like that matters, right? Yep. So mining, I think, presents an opportunity to, to speak to people who otherwise would not care about Bitcoin at that's all. so interesting. So you yeah. love the story and yeah. the people. The most mm -hmm. it is it, it is i mean especially if we step back and consider the entire like crypto world i mean bitcoin mining is nothing like smart contract developing completely I mean, different. so far apart um and it's it's different culturally extremely different culturally obviously it's like a, it's a heavy um energy business primarily right yeah. it's like um really fascinating stuff um i i like it too so then <laughs> When we talked about mining, one of the things that's been a big story this year has been the rise of ordinals, which have generated a lot more fees for Bitcoin yeah. miners. Most Bitcoin miners, thus, are supportive of ordinals. Many Bitcoin maximalists have been in opposition to ordinals for a variety of reasons. What's your take on ordinals overall? I'm a huge ordinals fan. Like once I saw it, I was like, "This is this is great." So I'm not a huge NFT guy, except for the pudgy penguins. I think the pudgy penguins are awesome. Uh, Specifically, the penguins. Yeah, the penguins are cute. Besides we, that, we have a guy here, um, Steve Kurz. He loves the penguins. Yeah, I think we got, talked about that on this podcast briefly. He's got good taste. <laughs> was not a huge fan of NFT space, yeah. and like during that whole run, was like pretty critical of it uh, for my perch and venue on on CoinDesk and elsewhere. Ordinals make sense. I I, I like Pete Rizzo's uh, position here that you know, Casey Rotemore and the Ordinals team saw something in Bitcoin that was always there, 
but they were able to innovate on top of, and they made something out of what was a, a pre-existing project, as opposed to other projects out there, which they see something their project can do, and so they go and change their product in order to make it fit the product they want at the end. Bitcoin didn't have to do that, right? Bitcoin already had this. And so mm -hmm. Casey and the Oral team members went and just slightly changed like the perspective of how we look at Bitcoin so we can have a new product. And that's been awesome for miners who I think like this year's fees are up like 5% to comparatively to 1% for transaction fees. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, as a percentage of total block reward. Yeah. yeah. Total minor, minor yeah. revenue. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I think it's fair to say fees have like 5 or 10x yeah. from like in absolute terms. Um, I mean, even now I was looking earlier and like, I mean, the block clock behind me is only going to show the price. That's just how we have it set up. But I mean, right now, like the average fee is 25 sats per V byte. It's what you should probably pay if you want to get in like the next couple blocks. That's a lot. And yeah. we went through a giant multi-year period of literally z almost zero fees, one sat per V byte, um, which I wrote a report about why are Bitcoin fees so low? Um, so yes, it's good for miners like it because they get paid more. But what yeah. else? What, what, what do you think about it? It's an interaction or what's it bringing? How's it affecting Bitcoin culture? Oh, Bitcoin culture. Well, I think a lot of those people gave up really quickly. Like some of these maximalists sort of pushed back initially. So the first one I think is Pierre Rochard with the Bitcoin saving account, right? Mm -hmm. He's tweeting against it. And then within 72 hours, just sort of like put his hands up and was like, whatever. It's, yeah. I think like within Bitcoin culture, there's like that conservative mindset, which a lot of people they are conservatism in the first place or countercultural as being conservative. Then they came to Bitcoin and they apply that same mindset as opposed to coming to Bitcoin, seeing it's a conservative play versus other protocols and then become becoming conservative themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like a net negative for the space because we, we, we look at Bitcoin from the wrong perspective. We're looking at it from a pre-existing perspective of like our political beliefs that were ingrained beforehand instead of looking at Bitcoin the promise of it and how we can build on top of it. What about the argument though that like this, uh, well, there's a variety of arguments, yeah. but in this part, what about protocol conservatism that is not necessarily generated from a political belief, but is of the, is engendered by the fear that, um, you know, that, that we move too quickly, we create bugs, we create, right, that Bitcoin yeah. should move slow and this introduces a whole bunch of like weird like like economic incentives could even result in new types of MEV on Bitcoin, and that's why we're opposed to it. Does that does any of that no, ring true? I, I like that perspective. I actually agree with it because I, I think like Bitcoin we want to stay very simple. We have Ethereum to do like sort of the crazy stuff on top of, and there's even other chains we can you know even more crazy on top of. At the same time, though, most of the people, if you look at like their political beliefs or how they look at the world around it. They apply that same mindset to Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So take, for example, um, I'm blanking on his name all of a sudden, Bitcoin quarter, Luke Dasher, yeah. right? Like famously uh, Catholic. Uh, yeah. Not saying like I'm no, a Christian fa myself. Famously conservative guy. Famously yeah. conservative. Like I'm a Christian myself, so nothing in against any of that. But the point being here, like he is so conservative in his own ways and he sticks with it in the Bitcoin sense. And That's you true. can go through a lot of these other Bitcoiners who view life the same way uh, a lot of these people who are down in austin and elsewhere like looking at bitcoin a certain lens and their life mirrors that right like yeah. the meat movement or whatever in bitcoin didn't take off because of just bitcoin right they liked it beforehand they liked all that stuff beforehand they were into <laughs> it like if bitcoin exists or not they were still going to be like into that sort yeah. of thing so i think we do a disservice to ourselves and at the same time we're losing 
the ability to build really awesome stuff. A lot of like stable coins stuff was on Bitcoin before, right? Yeah. These things were built on Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. but they moved to Ethereum and now Tron and we've lost all of it. Yeah. And, you know, Justin yeah. signed his rakes in the fees. I do like um, having um, a space for more experimental development on Bitcoin. And I think yeah. ordinals have definitely brought that. Um, I, I, what do you think about ordinal theory? I mean, this is where I get a little sticky. I love inscriptions. Yeah. I love the idea that we can etch stuff into Bitcoin, the stone tablet yeah. that is Bitcoin's blockchain, by far, in my opinion, the most immutable and long lasting blockchain. Um, but then to tokenize them with this totally off chain protocol, like, which is a hack. I mean, Casey says, like, this is a hack, right? Yeah. We hacked it together. Obviously, the protocol consensus layer is unaware of the ordinals. Um, does that, like cap the possibilities here because yeah you know ethereum's purpose built for tokens like it's great for tokens it has standards yeah. for tokens like this is just a bunch of people and having a it, what do you say to the idea that this is a bunch of people having a collective hallucination essentially <laughs> now there's something to that uh, i know a lot of the key ordinal people and they're they're basically throwing a lot of stuff at the wall right now and seeing what sticks and props to them and if they have money to do it mm -hmm. do it that's actually how most of ethereum happened too yeah. right so like the open sea guys i remember talking to them in 2019 there was a bug uh on the early version of open and i was talking about that with them and i was like why am i writing this this is stupid who cares about open yeah i two I years later it's the biggest protocol out there i know i remember this um and like even earlier in like 17 when crypto kitties yeah 17 but then like 18 i'm talking i was doing venture investing and talked to someone who's big on digital collectibles and yeah. i'm like this sounds like the stupidest thing i've ever heard yeah actually i didn't even pass that negative of judgment i was like i it's stupid because like this can't be real like, <laughs> this is not a thing right yeah and then of course it became absolutely massive yeah Ma i mean nfts even now i mean if you by most metrics if you look at, like trade volume or like count of count of transfers and stuff they're down like bad it's like down over 90 percent. yeah but like the core og collections crypto punks yeah the, the um the like squiggles right all the stuff and and all the ai generated stuff even yuga um which i'm not really a fan of yuga labs and and their collections but yeah. like they're holding plenty of value yeah a lot of people like them yeah i'm pretty certain nfts are here to stay that this isn't you know yeah but they it absolutely mooned yeah, absolutely mooned. It did, and if you look at Ethereum over the years, and a lot of maximals hate looking at this chart. They, they pick one, and they're like, "Oh, look, this chart went up and down, and no mm -hmm. one cares about it anymore." But if you stack all these things over the years, Ethereum is accruing like this this value. So, go back, ICO era, mm -hmm. moon up and down, but then there's like that ten percent market for it, and then we have stable coins, and then you add DeFi, and then you add NFTs, and over years we're just accruing more things that are actually driving a purpose for this chain in the first place. Right. And yeah, everything went up and down 90%, but you still have that base. We're not getting that with Bitcoin. Like we could, we could have it with stable coins. Hopefully ordinals and inscriptions develop into that, mm -hmm. but it's a loss. And it's a loss for miners as well, which are looking pretty bleak without an increase to the price of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And then also very low transaction yeah. fees. So I know a lot of miners who are very concerned about this and actively thinking of things like drive chains. Well, particularly with the halving coming up in yeah. what, maybe like nine months or so. Yeah. Um, how are miners preparing for the halving in that spot? Yeah. Are they worried? Oh, it's bad. Yeah? It's very bad. So unless you're a public miner, specifically in the United States, with access to high amounts of capital at lower interest rates or yeah. just dilution, 
you're in a bad spot um, if you have not been upgrading your fleet and getting some of these energy purchases uh, squared away. A lot of the companies from 2020, 2021, they focused on getting ahead of the bull market and they purchased these energy contracts, which are now three cents more expensive than they were back then, just to give like an, an mm-hmm. estimate. And a lot of those, those machines had to be upgraded by now. If you're buying an S19 in 2020, 90 terahash with the efficiency, probably don't want that in your rack come happening. Like maybe if you have some firmware adoption for it or immersion, mm-hmm. but you're really going to want to be moving to these higher level, like the XPs, XPs and, and things like that. Right. Like, yeah. what, what, what's the, I mean, what's the highest end like that's out from Antminer now? Like, uh, yeah, XP is probably like the most efficient. It's like 21 joules per terahash. And we're talking about like how many terahashes per like 140 or so yeah. ish. Yeah. So it's a lot more hash and it's yeah. also better, more efficient. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. And that's what you're competing against. So the likes of some of these bigger guys like Marathon, right? Riot, they can, Greenspark, they can buy them, keep the new machines flowing in. They can dilute their shareholders like crazy. And if they do it in a responsible way, shareholders are not going to be that upset because if you time the purchase of your machines you turn and your them, equipment, you turn them on and then they, you, yeah, with you, your dilution. you pay for it with equity, but you uh, also increase your hash rate and that yeah. can boost your revenue and, yeah, it's a it's going to be tricky, right? I mean, yeah. the having is a, yeah. an important event, and you're right. So connecting this to ordinals, right? We're, what we're talking about is we like the increase the demand yeah. for Bitcoin block space from these people willing to pay to do whatever it is they're doing, whether you yeah. whether it's NFTs or these tokens or whatever on Bitcoin, um, because that revenue goes to miners. And um, do you think? Let's, let's ask the big question: Is the security budget a long-term concern for Bitcoin, the network? I, I really want to say no. Like, I really want to say no. I think it is, though. Mm-hmm. And I think that it might be the wrong question in the sense that, like, why should it even be the question we're asking when we have things we can do with Bitcoin that are decently safe and we choose not to do them? We choose not to see if we can bring stable coins on the Bitcoin or add more interest for ordinals. And you mean drive demand to increase Drive demand fees, towards yeah. Bitcoin. Yeah. Instead, we, we do stuff with Lightning, which we Lightning is great. kind of drive great. demand away from Bitcoin on, on those types of use cases, stables, tokenization, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, I mean, like you can't even sell Bitcoin on Swan, right? So like we can't even like accrue can, value. Right? That, that, I don't think that's true <laughs> Did anymore. they change that? I'm not sure, but that, they didn't even <laughs> used to have that button, which is, yeah. you got to hand it to them, that's funny. Yeah, which <laughs> is like, it is funny, and I, I like the HODL model. It's great. Rhymes. HODL model's fine. Yeah. But you're not helping miners out. That's true. You're not helping you these guys out. you got to use the blockchain in yeah. order to help miners. And that's cool when you go, like, you download Unisat or one of these other things, and you can just start using this stuff. Like, you can go and buy an inscription, and then there's going to be recursive instru- uh, inscriptions as well. I saw this. This is, like, inscriptions that refer to each other inscriptions? So cool. Yeah, it's it's inscriptions that speak to as many inscriptions, I understand, as you want that are on different blocks, and that allows you to build out more data on chain. So like More complex data arrangements. Yeah. So, like, beyond the... Uh, like the Taproot Wizard that you know when they ripped a four megger, that's what they call it, ripping a four megger. Yeah, that's great. Right? I mean, theoretically, if you fill up the entire block, you've got four megabytes of data availability, and that's it. Yeah. And here you can now just keep roll out your out. data across multiple blocks, so then and then use something to tie it all back together. Yeah, and then that's just one idea, like Bitmap. I think you guys have talked about that as well. Yeah. Like the idea of what if we just like layer on top of the world some sort of grid, and then use Satoshi's to like represent that idea, and then we can do like. Know, Satoshi trails go do like a, a map on chain. It's pretty weird in the real and, world and interesting. Yeah, um, some people were complaining. One of the original complaints that I remember hearing was that it would harm Bitcoin's fungibility. 
Yeah. Um, because now you've got a bunch of sats that are encumbered with this other data. They're not being used as money. It's kind of like if you, um, I guess the argument would be like if it's dollar bills, people write on dollar bills all the time and they, they typically hold their fungibility unless you destroy it. Yeah. But it'd be like if um, famous people signed dollar bills or yeah. like a famous artist did genuine art, that dollar bill would now be worth a lot more yeah. than one dollar. Um, which would make it not fungible with other dollars. And that's something they've been worried about, about ordinals. Um, we didn't see any risk of this because, like, even under aggressive growth scenarios, yeah. like, it's, it's, each ordinal is one sat with 9,999 9, sats attached to it for postage for, to make yeah. it easy to move around, um, like, later. And, like, even, I forget what we said, even with, like, 500 million ordinals, it'll be, like, it's only, like, it's, like, 50,000 Bitcoin total. Yeah. Which is like, you know, a tiny percentage of the total supply. But I don't know. Do, does that, I mean, the other thing people say is like, that's just not what Bitcoin's meant to be used for. Bitcoin's supposed to be yeah. money. Why are you putting monkey JPEGs on, on the chain? Well, I guess it doesn't really matter. Because it's like, it's going to happen no matter what. Like, unless I figure out some way of. Yeah. What well, was the, the node thing they're doing? The ordinal disrespector? Or, or Yeah, or disrespector. Or, yeah. yeah. It's just a node that doesn't, it doesn't it download the, <laughs> it's it like doesn't download the ordinals. Project. Yeah, um, that guy probably got a lot of Twitter followers out of it, but didn't do anything. Yeah, it's stupid. I think yeah. that stuff's stupid. I mean, to like the fungibility question, Bitcoin and privacy sucks already. Like, go and download Samurai or whatever. Like, you can do it, and there's ways of doing it. And hats off to those guys for trying. But it's just annoying. Yeah, and frustrating. Like Tornado Cash, those sort of things were a better experience, and those things are getting pushed again. So. I think if the government really cared, they'd do something about it. That's how bad the UX is on those. <laughs> and then on top of that, for the ordinals, like I don't really care if it's like if it has something on it. I'm still going to spend that sat if I want, and if I can purchase it or sell it for more because there's some inscription, that's also awesome. Right. And then the last part of it, there's always been these Bitcoin services going back for years now that have labeled bitcoin somehow right there was like green bitcoin or um yeah they used to say uh they called it virgin bitcoin yeah so bitcoin right out of a block that yeah. was just mined has no transaction history and there's people who try to sell it right like i want to sell you these green bitcoin or these virgin bitcoin that didn't really catch on right i never actually caught a huge market for it but 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 the labeling had existed the labeling does exist for people who are buying and selling bitcoin for exchanges and for other people they know where bitcoin have, have come from that's always going to exist yeah. so like I think we're just kidding ourselves if we can't say like it matters or not. What else gets you excited about Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin in general uh, before we wrap here, Will? For me, I think it's mostly I see stuff through a media lens. Like, again, that money is social idea. Uh, Nick and Udi, Nick Carter and Udi Wertheimer were making jokes a lot about podcasters lately. Yeah. Um, and I love that because I think it's hilarious. That Funny enough, they're making it on the Bankless show, which yeah, is yeah. Just like – they're talking with two podcasters yeah. about how much they hate podcasting. And Nick has his own podcast. <laughs> yeah. Udi has been like on every podcast. He's Udi's been on this on... podcast. And so like this is his wizard hat right here. Oh, there yeah. you go. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like, I mean, Udi has used a lot of different social platforms to build himself up, right? He totally. had like, he had that pro Ethereum channel, which was an anti Ethereum channel for a while. Yeah. And, and then like, he had a have, some, have fun staying poor. He had a giant telegram group. Yeah. Sitting around that joke. Yeah. And so, like, I totally agree with them in the sense that I think they were actually meaning it. So I'm taking a little bit of a liberal interpretation of what they're saying. Yeah. I think there's been a poor use of independent media in the space. I think the coin desks, the blocks of the world 
are doing as best they can under the corporate structure they have to create themselves within. They have to act within a newsroom. Mm -hmm. But for the independent media out there, whether that's like a large Twitter account to an independent podcaster, oftentimes it's just the same old we want attention. And yeah. that, that's taken the form of token shilling all the way to bad faith arguments that attack other people. And yeah. for me in this, in this mining spot, we have hard numbers. We have 20 plus public companies that give us monthly data on how much they're uh, exercising their, their Bitcoin mining operations, how much flows they're getting, how much they're selling. So for the first time, we can sort of create a, a blueprint for what an independent media source in Bitcoin should look like. And that's what gets me excited. Like I can build something around that because there is somewhat a structure already and I can present that to people with integrity as opposed to the past where it's just been like, oh, this is my opinion and I'm going to attack you because I like Bitcoin. I love it. Um, Will Foxley, uh, formerly Compass Mining, at Coindesk still. Um, excited to see what you're doing next, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Alex. That's it for this week's episode of Galaxy Brains. Thanks to our guest, Will Foxley, the host of The Mining Pod, formerly of Compass Mining, and our friend Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading, as always, for the good conversation about markets. That's all we have. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. If you enjoy the show, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To follow Galaxy Research, sign up for our weekly newsletter at gdr.email, read our content at galaxy.com research, and follow us on Twitter at glxyresearch. See you next week.